Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. And we've been in this series called Well Spent, just about spending our our life, our resource, our time well. Um, And I'm going to start off today by um, asking a question that if it got isolated, if it got taken out of context, I'm just telling you now, it could get me into trouble. If you hear my opening question and then walk out, we got problems. So you have to promise to at least, at least hang in here for at least half the message just to get the context of my first question. But here's my first question that could get me in some, in some trouble. Here it is. Where's all my rich people at? Where's my rich people at? Okay. All right. Because this one's for the rich people. Now, okay. Again, I know that statement could get me in some trouble. Um, but uh, I say it in, in context because did you know that the Bible actually commands you to be rich? I'll get to that in a moment. Now y'all really want to hang around. Yeah, the Bible commands us to be rich. You know that being rich is really a matter of more of perspective and of outlook and of attitude more than it is some bottom line in a, in a bank ledger. And uh, uh, there's a story that I came across that I think really illustrates that well, uh, this attitude of, of richness. Um, and um, it's told by a woman whose name was Edna Ogan, Edna Smith Ogan. Uh, she got married. Uh, she actually passed away in 2019. I think she was probably 87 years old when she passed away in 2019. But in 1990, Edna, or Eddie, as she was called most of her life, um, Eddie wrote a letter in 1990 to some missionaries And that letter ended up becoming quite circulated and it started kind of spreading around and being read by a lot of people besides just the missionaries to whom she had sent it. Um, In that letter, she described one Easter season back in 1946 when she was 14 years old. And uh, I'm gonna do my best just to paraphrase what that letter to missionaries that she wrote in 1990 said about her Easter season when she was 14 back in 1946. She said, I was 14 years old. She said, my little sister at the time, Osi, was 12, and my older sister, Darlene, was 16. We lived at home with our mom, she said in the letter. She said, our, our dad had actually passed away um, five years prior to that year, 1946. Um, she said that um, she was the sixth of seven children, by this time uh, that she's talking about this, 1946, when she was 14, uh, her um, older, a couple of older sisters had gotten married, a couple of her older brothers had moved out, and so now uh, it was just her mom and these three sisters, the 12-year-old herself and the 16-year-old older sister. Um, They went to church, and about a month before Easter, um, they're at church, and the pastor announces that on Easter Sunday that that small church would be receiving a sacrificial offering to go to a a poor family in the church. 
Um, now, I paused on the story for a moment. Just, it's interesting that way back in 1946, this small church had a sacrificial offering. It's something that we've done around here for years and years and years. And so uh, in two weeks, we'll have our sacrificial offering as well. But kind of cool that the precedent has been set even way back in the 40s at whatever church Eddie and her family went to. So on their way home, they were excited on that month before Easter. They were excited about this sacrificial offering. The pastor had said, pray about what God would use you guys to do, each, each family, and what you guys could, uh, could do sacrificially for this offering, for this poor family in the church. So on their way home, they were already starting to talk about it. At, at lunch on that Sunday, they, they sat and they began to strategize of what they could do for the sacrificial offering. And mom said, well, I could just buy a 50-pound bag of potatoes and we could just live on that for the next month. That's just what we'll eat every meal and that'll save us probably $20 we can put towards the sacrificial offering. And the girls all agreed that they would do that. And they began to talk about what they could do and uh, one of the older sisters said, I'll just take on every house cleaning and yard cleaning job I can. And so she did that for the month and uh, the two other sisters decided they'd babysit for anybody that would let them babysit. They even bought some little pieces of cotton uh, uh, material and they were weaving these potholders and they, would, they sold potholders for a dollar each. They made $20 on the potholders that they sold. Um, in this letter, Eddie said, this was one of the greatest months of my life. She said, every night we'd come home and we would count whatever more money we had gotten to put towards the sacrificial offering. And it was so exciting every night to be able to do that. And we started seeing more and more coming in. She said, we didn't even, we, 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 we turned the lights off early at night and we wouldn't listen to the radio. That was the main form of entertainment. We wouldn't even listen to the radio because we thought that might save us some more money towards the sacrificial offering. Well, finally, it was the day before Easter, and uh, uh, Eddie and her younger sister, they took their little bag of money that they had gathered up for all these different ways, and they went to the bank, and they said, hey, uh, I'm sorry, they went to the grocery store, and they got to the grocery store, and they said, will you change out uh, and give us just big bills for however much money is in here? And so the bank gave them three crisp, brand new looking $20 bills and one crisp $10 bill. Man, they were so excited. They had $70 for the sacrificial offering tomorrow on Easter. And she said when that morning came, they were so excited. They could not wait to get to church. They walked to church. Matter of fact, she said on that Easter, it was raining on their trip, on their walk to church, but they didn't even mind. Uh, they didn't have new clothes on because that was something that they had definitely had to go without if they were gonna be a part of this offering at this level. And so when they got to church, a lot of other people had Easter outfits, new outfits on. They didn't, but they didn't even mind. Uh, old shoes, old dresses, whatever. They, and, and they got into church and it came time for that sacrificial offering. They've been looking forward to this now for a month. And as that offering plate goes by, mom pulls out a crisp $10 bill. And O.C. pulls out uh, her $10 bill. And Eddie pulls out uh, her $20 bill. Uh, 20, 20. And then Darlene comes and she gives her $20 bill. And now $70 have been given towards uh, for this sacrificial offering for a poor family in the church. On the way home, they were just so excited. When they got home, Eddie saw that there was a surprise. Mom had bought a dozen eggs and had hard-boiled them Easter eggs. And so they had hard-boiled eggs with their potatoes for lunch on Easter as kind of a special little surprise. 
after lunch, they were sitting around talking, and uh, a knock comes at the door. And uh, so mom went and answered the door, and she comes back um, after a few seconds talking with somebody there at the door. And when she comes back, um, the girls had seen that it was the pastor of the church that had come to the house. And they said, Mom, what, what was that about? And uh, they said, Mom didn't say anything. In her letter, Eddie said that Mom just came and had an envelope, and she put the envelope on the table, and when she did, cash just fell out of the envelope. It was one crisp $10 bill, three crisp $20 bills, and 17 $1 bills. And it was at that moment that Eddie realized, wait, like, wait, we're the poor family? And it, it kind of bothered her because, you see, she had never seen herself as poor. Like she said, I knew we didn't have what everyone else had. I mean, I, I guess I knew that. She said, I, I knew we didn't have a full set of silverware, and so you did never know at dinner time whether you were going to eat with a fork or a spoon, but you weren't going to eat with both. She said, I knew we had two knives, and so during dinner, we'd pass around the knife to whoever needed it in the moment. She said, but that was just normal for us. I, she said, matter of fact, I looked at other families because we were just so happy and we loved each other so much. I looked at other families, and I felt sorry for them, and yet now I was being told that I was poor. She said, we went, she said this in the letter, she said, we went from feeling like a million bucks to feeling like white trash, just like that. She said, I didn't like that feeling. She said, I didn't want to go to school that week. She said, I was, I was talking about dropping out of school. She said, I was first in my class uh, as, as a ninth grader, but the law only at that time said you had to go through eighth grade. So she said, I'm just going to quit school because I just don't want all the kids looking at me knowing that I'm the poor family. They said, they, the girls started saying, Mom, we don't, don't want to go to church next week because when we walk in, everybody's going to know that we were the poor family. And they didn't really talk much that week. And Saturday finally comes of that first week after Easter. And that's the first time that mom says, so what are we gonna do with this money? And the girls were thinking, I, I don't know, what do poor people do with money like this? And they, they, they just didn't really know what to do. So Sunday comes and mom talks the girls into coming to church and on their way to church, mom's trying to make the most of them and she starts to sing a song on the walk to church and the girls don't even really join in. When they get to church that Sunday after Easter, <clears throat> um, there's a missionary speaker, and uh, he begins to talk about these churches that they're building in Africa. And as he talks about these churches, he says they're built with these sun-dried bricks, but to put a roof on these churches costs $100. And the missionary says, can't we all maybe pray about sacrificing something so that we could put roofs on these churches. And so they received an offering and for the first time in a week, all three girls kind of smiled. And they looked at each other and they looked down to mom and kind of without saying anything, they decided what they were gonna do. So mom takes out that envelope with $87 in it, three 20s, one 10, 17 ones. And she passes it down to Darlene, and Darlene passes it down to Eddie, who writes the letter later on in life, and Eddie passes it to Osi. When the offering plate goes by, Osi puts that in the offering. So the service gets done, and 
They count the offering and the pastor and the missionary step up and to celebrate and they say, you know what? We've brought in a little over $100 and we're gonna be able to put a roof on a, one of the churches in Africa and the, and the few people in the, ch in the church applauded that day and the missionary stepped up and he said, I gotta, be, I gotta be honest. He said, I didn't expect for such a large offering. Remember, this is 1946. He said, I didn't expect such a large offering to come from such a small church and he said this, he said, man, there must be somebody rich. There must be a rich family in this church and when Eddie heard that, she started doing some math in her head and she started thinking, wait, if a little over $100 came in and our family gave $87, that means we're the rich family. She said, the missionary said it. He said, there's a rich family out there and that was us. And Eddie said, I never felt poor another day of my life. I have felt rich in Jesus every day of my entire life. You see, being rich is a perspective, right? It's an outlook, it's a mindset. That's what we're talking about. When we talk about living life well spent, and I guess the reason why I love that story so much is because it really illustrates what Paul says to Timothy in, in 1 Timothy chapter six. In 1 Timothy chapter six, Paul says this. He says, command those who are rich. He's telling Timothy, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, not to trust in uncertain riches, but, in, but trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Well, I'm gonna preach this message today just entitled, Those Who Are Rich. Those Who Are Rich. I want you to pray with me, and we're gonna ask God to speak to us all across all of our campuses. Come on, pray with me right now. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would anoint this word, that you would give us ears to hear. God, we just, we just say yes to you right now. I thank you for your word and for all it means to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. Well, for our time, our life, our money, our resource to be well spent, um, we're gonna have to take some of the instruction that Timothy was instructed to give to, uh, to the Christians that he was dealing with. And I've just taken a few uh, kind of real simple statements out of that text that just give us um, kind of some inspiration, gives us some idea of what we might be able to do to have, live life well spent. And the first thing would be this, and if you're taking notes, you can jot this down, but the first one would be simply this, trust God. Trust God, trust God first, trust God firstly. Um, Paul says it this way, he says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, and look at this, not to trust in uncertain riches, but trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. And I know that there's some that maybe have heard, a ver heard that verse before, read that verse before, maybe even right now you just heard it and you decided you were gonna check out. You're like, well, it just said, command those who are rich and I am not rich and so therefore, pastor, I will sit this message out. Thank you very much. Like, but you have to understand, obviously, as we've, we've, we've talked about, being rich 
even if you look at it certainly in a scriptural or in a, uh, a men mental mentality type thing, it is an attitude. Uh, spiritually, we're rich. But even if you took that out, even if we were looking at it strictly from a financial perspective, which we usually don't, but even if we were, you know what? I mean, nearly all of us are still would be under that classification of rich when it, when we, if we're looking at the world. Um, do you know that uh, about 71% of the world still is living on less than $10 a day? As a matter of fact, if you make $25,000 a year or more, it puts you as making more than 90% of the world's population with your income. So even in a strictly financial, narrow-minded view of, of, of wealth or riches, we, we kind of, a lot of us would, would land there. And circumstances don't really affect um, our obedience to God. Like it, our circumstance doesn't, if our circumstance is different, it doesn't mean that we're called to live any different or be any different. But here's the thing. Sometimes the more of uh, wealth that we have or the more money that we have, the more temptation there is to trust in that. Now, last week, uh, if those of you that heard the message, uh, we talked about when Jesus was, was saying, um, you can't serve two masters. Um, you can't have both God and mammon or money as your master. You can't serve both of those. Those both cannot have mastery over your life. So not only can we not have master, uh, a master of God and a master of money at the same time, no longer, not only can we not serve both God and money, but now Paul tells Timothy, hey, tell the people that have money, you can't even trust both of them. We, we come up to these different layers and levels of trust, uh, but, but Paul's saying this, if you trust in money, then you're not gonna trust in God. But if you fully trust, I mean, first trust in God, it's gonna help you not trust in your money. Now, I have up here, as I think about these different layers and levels of trust, I have up here a chair because I was thinking about in my house, in our kitchen area, we have a kitchen table and chairs. And, uh, um, and we've had it for years, and it was good, and it, it was good for us and, and whatever. But through the years, we had several uh, chairs that, uh, that uh, got wobbly and ended up breaking on us. Like people would be sitting down. Now this is not one of my chairs because I only got two left. So I didn't bring one from home. Um, this is a faith assembly chair. You can trust a faith assembly chair. Somebody say amen. Yeah, well built right there. Um, but our chairs, have, they just get, would get wobbly. I got five kids. I got four boys. They're all pretty good sized boys. And I don't know what happened, but my boys don't know how to like sit down. Uh, there's no like, there's no like, you know, etiquette. There's no uh, concern. It's just, it's a body slam. Every time they sit down, it's just like, bam, they just go, I mean, breaking stuff all the time. They would have our, they'd grab a kitchen chair and go put it maybe in front of the TV and play some video games. They'd be leaning and all of, and you could just see splinters and hear the wood cracking. And I'd be like, stop, we, that's, we, we're running out of chairs. And so there, my wife one time sat down on one of the chairs and it just broke and she scratched the cabinet. And I said, honey, you scratched the cabinet. What are you doing? Uh, no. Uh, and uh, so we got a couple of them left and I just, I mean, I'm talking probably a month ago. Uh, it hit one of, our, one of our couple that are left. 
had, had gotten wobbly. I was getting ready to sit down, and I noticed it was feeling really loose. I mean, it was really shaky. So when I sat down on that chair, I did so, so carefully. I went so slow, and I just rested my weight a little bit as I went, and it held me up. And I was so grateful. And I sat there during my meal, and I didn't move much, because I thought, man, any movement at all. And you could say, oh, so you trusted that chair. I mean, sort of. I had, I had one certain, some layer of trust, but I didn't trust enough just to go sit down. I was constantly thinking, this thing might fail me. This thing might give way. And I feel like that's a picture at some of our version of trusting God. We go, no, I want to trust God, but I'm just not sure if God's going to come through. I mean, I, I feel like God's called me maybe to help this family that's in need, but if I help them, I'm just not sure who's going to help me. And after all, my, 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 uh, my job's changed, and I, I'm not really sure now who's going to uh, provide for me, and I, and I feel like I can trust God, but the diagnosis came, and so I'm not sure if God's going to have me through this, and so we have this, this layer of caution as we trust God, and what Paul is saying is, listen, when you're wealthy, you'll have the tendency to trust in riches, and he says, don't do that. Put your full trust on God. Put your full thought on the fact that God can hold you. When you sit down on God, you know that God can hold you. He says, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. Trust him with everything. See, there's this attribute of God that I love. God has many attributes. But Colossians chapter 1 references one of my favorite attributes of God, and it's a word that's called preeminence. It's a big Bible word that maybe, maybe some would go, I'm not even sure what that word mean, means. Preeminence just means above all else, supreme, uh, the, the top of the authority. And so God is preeminent. Matter of fact, Colossians chapter 1 says it this way. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, come on across all the campuses, say all things, that in all things he may have the preeminence. That in all things, including my trust, he has to have the preeminence. And it's not as if God is saying, hey, you should trust me first. Hey, I should be number one in your life. What God is actually saying is this, that's the only slot I can fill. Like, I can't even fill the second, third, and fourth slot. If you think you trust me second, third, or fourth, then you don't trust me at all. Because God says, I'm preeminent, which means I have to be number one. I have to be the thing that you trust. So I just, I encourage you, if our life is going to be well spent, we've got to trust God. Trust him first. Trust him most. Come on, give God praise. Yeah. If God's first in our life, it's amazing how everything just seems to fall into place. Anybody just have a witness to testify that when God's first, isn't it something? Just things just start to fit into place, and yet when God's not first, it sometimes feels like nothing's working. When God's not first in my life, it seems like everything's unraveling. Nothing starts to work. It seems like my marriage is unraveling and my career is unraveling and my finances are unraveling and my family might be my relationships and my friendships when God's not first. And so God says, trust me, put me in that first place. So trust God. And the second simple statement as we try to live life well spent would be this, just do good. Trust God, and then Paul says to Timothy, hey, tell those that are rich, tell them to do good. And uh, this is where that command to be rich lands. Matter of fact, the NIV, New International Version, says, verse 18 this way, says, command them to do good, 
to be rich in good deeds. Command them to be rich. There's your command, to be rich. Paul says, Timothy, tell those people, command them, make them be rich, but not necessarily in money, although we see that context here, that's part of it, but to be rich in good deeds. The New King James Version just says it this way, let them do good, that they may be rich in good works. Now we can't talk about this concept of well spent without talking about our time as well. Matter of fact, time and money are really the two things that are most commonly referred to as spent. Usually if you're gonna say you spent anything, it's gonna be you either spent money or you spent time. And time is one of the greatest offerings and acts of sacrifice that you can ever give to God. Matter of fact, some uh, philosophers have said time is the most valuable thing that we can spend. Um, if you think about it, time is our only non-renewable resource. It's like time puts us all in a level playing field because there may be some in this room, maybe nobody, uh, no family in this whole, maybe who is hearing me today, would have the same net worth. If we added up all of our net worth, maybe nobody's would be exactly the same down to the penny. Maybe none of our accounts have the same balance to the same penny, right? So that means there is some difference in the financial uh, makeup of, of each family, of each person uh, that's uh, here in this, uh, involved in this service. But here's the thing. I do know this. We may not all have the same amount of money, but we all have the exact same amount of time. Like this week, we're all going to get seven days, and in each one of those days, you get 24 hours, and each one of those hours, you get 60 minutes, and in each one of those minutes, you get 60 seconds. And it's the same for all of us. You can get more money. I mean, you can work an extra job. You can get a better job. You can do it. You can get more money, but you can't get more time, which makes this thought of offering God my time, boy, it, maybe it is a really, really valuable offering. And as I think about us giving God our time, letting God use like me, it makes me think that that's one of the most amazing aspects of the gospel to me. Like it's amazing that God loves us. It's amazing that God forgives us. It's amazing, I mean it just blows us away that Jesus died for us, that he redeemed us. But even in the midst of all that, you know what blows me away? You know what's amazing to me? Is that God uses us. Oh, because there's nobody, none of us, are really good enough to be used of God. There's none of us that should qualify based on how great we've been with every single decision we've made. No. And so the fact that God would hold some aspects, because God could do it himself. He could. He could just make it all happen. And he could just, he could just appear to every person that doesn't know him and just be there. And they go, oh, my goodness. You know, he could do it so many ways. And yet in his, uh, in his divine uh, wisdom, in his complete, uh, you know, Godness, all right? Uh, he decides to hold back some of the actions that he wants accomplished. He holds them back in and of himself, and he says, I want to release my people and use them to advance my kingdom. Wow. That's amazing. But the, the flip side of that is that the danger that comes when I don't offer God my time, when I don't say, God, I want you to use, use my life, 
Romans chapter 12 talks about the way God would choose to use us. Verse four says, for just as each one of us has one body with many members, okay, we understand that, and these members do not all have the same function, we understand that about our bodies. So in Christ, we though we're many, we form one body, okay? And each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If your gift is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. Oh, we need some encouragers out there. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then lead diligently. And if it's to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. And the thing that we get out of this Uh, The truth that really rises out of this few verses that we just read is this. Not everybody is called to do everything. And so it should take some pressure off. Maybe that's kept us on the bench. Maybe that's kept us in the pew. Is thinking, well, I can't do everything and there's just too much to do and I can't do it all and so therefore I'll just stay out. You were never called to do it all. You know what you were called to do? You were called to take what God has gifted you with, what God has deposited in you and use that to advance his kingdom. And some of you go, I don't even know what that is. Well, you should find out what that is, but here's the thing. Probably people have been hinting to you what that is because probably people have been complimenting you all of your life about some aspect or something that you do and it comes very normal to you and you go, well, no, that's just normal. No, it's not. It's God's gifting inside of you. Maybe that's that gift of mercy, right? And somebody goes, wow, you always notice somebody that's hurting. You always notice somebody in need. And you're like, don't, doesn't everybody do that? And I'm here to tell you, no, they don't. It's God's gifting inside of you. And God says, I want to use that that I've put in you Leading, teaching, serving, whatever it is. I want to put that that I put in you. I want you to use that. I want you to offer that to me. Um, As I was thinking about kind of God using and what keeps us maybe from surrendering and and giving the offering of our time, I was thinking about to like the first car that I ever owned. And the first car that I ever owned was a 1970 Oldsmobile Cutlass. Uh, And before anybody does the math or whatever. I, the, the car was not new when I got it, okay? It was already old when I got it, all right? So I got, that's my first car, a 1970. You might say, what uh, color was it? Uh, I don't know how to describe its color to you. It was like, it didn't have a color. Uh, kind of a light, weird, greenish, gray primer kind of thing, all right? So that, that helps you. Uh, it was uh, definitely uh, just a I mean, it was a struggle, right? Uh, the, uh, my interior, the liner um, on, the, on the inside had come loose, and so it just gaped down. And so when you sat in the back seat, it just covered your head. It was a surprise everywhere you were going. Like, I don't know where we're going or how close we are. You just never could see um, if you sat in the back seat. Quite an experience. Uh, after that, I got a 1972 Volkswagen Bug. I mean, I thought that was a big step in the right direction, but it didn't have anything either. And so I'm thinking about you know, what cars have now compared to what my cars had then. I didn't even have a cup holder in those cars. I mean, you're talking about, like, that's not exactly like scientific revolutionary stuff. I love a cup holder. I love to carry my soda with me. But I didn't even have a cup holder in those early cars. I didn't have a Bluetooth in those early cars. I didn't have a, um, a blind spot sensor beeping if somebody was on. I didn't have a backup rear camera on those cars, right? I didn't have power windows. I, here's the power windows right here. Anybody remember those power windows, right? 
No power windows, no power locks, no power seats, um, no power lift gate. Matter of fact, my Volkswagen Bug didn't really have power at all. I had to push it to get it started. I mean, no power. Uh, thinking about all of this stuff now that these cars, no navigation, did we didn't have navigation built, like none of this stuff. So then someone might go, well, if those cars that you had didn't have it, and the cars today do have it, does that mean that those things are not needed because that was a car and this is a car? I mean, that got you somewhere and these get you somewhere. Well, first of all, these getting me somewhere, eh, okay. Every, every so often these got me somewhere, but I'm not all that faithfully. Here's the thing. If I get a car today with all those extra things, it's gonna make this car a lot more effective. It's gonna make this car a lot more productive. It's gonna make this car get me to my destination at a much better rate than those cars did. And so I wouldn't say those things are not needed. So what happens is, the reason why I share that is because sometimes we sit in the church and we look around and we look at all the options we look at all the different gadgets. We look at all the different people. Oh, man, look what they can do. Look what they can do. I guess I'm not needed. Satan will whisper in your ear and say, you're not needed. And I'm telling you this, your gifting is needed. It's not even about whether or not you're needed. It's about being obedient to God. But as you give your gift to the kingdom of God, it helps us be more efficient. It helps us be more effective. It helps us reach destinations that we would not have reached if you didn't answer the call. And so, this simple phrase, do good, be rich, the Bible says, be rich in doing good. It's not about whether or not you feel like you're needed, it's not about whether you feel like you're good enough, because none of us are. Um, it's just about answering this call, finding your lane. And maybe, as we mentioned earlier, maybe Easter is a great time to do that. Maybe you've never like, done anything official like ministry or team around here, and that's not the only expression of ministry either. God wants you to minister uh, you know, everywhere you go, but certainly ministering here on a team would be one of those options, so maybe Easter's a great time to, to start. It's that first step towards it, and on the way out, you can stop by one of those tables and, and check in on that. And the final uh, kind of real simple instruction that I'd pull out of this that Paul tells Timothy to tell all the rich people um, I'd say this, be ready to give. Be ready to give generously. Uh, Paul says it this way. He says, command, here's what I want you to do, get, get those rich people, tell them not to trust in God, tell them to be rich in good deeds, and he says that they may be ready to give and willing to share. That they may be ready to give and willing to share. It's a good time just to, again, remind everyone, as we've been in this series for three weeks, it's a good time to remind everybody that we share on this topic and we share in this series of having a life that's well spent. We share this not because we want something from you. We share this, we want something for you way more than we want something from you. This is, this is for that we could be walking in the obedience of God's word and the blessing that comes with that. And Pastor launched uh, this series a couple weeks ago talking about tithing, and I just kind of want to end the series just mentioning again a little bit on tithing. If you missed that first week, you should go back and, and uh, look at the archives and, and do that. But as Paul says, that have them be ready to give. I was thinking about, you know, this whole thing of God being first and us trusting in him and being ready to give. And I was going to have, I meant to have uh, 
some cash on me to, to have it be like a little bit of a physical like, illustration thing, but I don't have it on me. Does anybody have like uh, 10 $1 bills on you? Does anybody? You do? Oh, Pastor Cody coming through. Thank you. Wow, that was quick. All right. So he's got, it's, it's like I got another stimulus right there. Look at that. Uh, <laughs> So now that I got my $10 stimulus, I have to decide what I got to do with this. And if I got a $10 stimulus, most of you got more than that, I, already, I know that, but if, uh, if I got a $10 stimulus, now, a little math quiz here, tithe means 10%, so if I got $10 in my stimulus, how much of this belongs to God as the tithe holy unto him? How much? One. All right, some of you were a little bit... It's not a trick question. You were flashing back to school being like, I'm not about to say out loud any number because I'm not sure. All right. right, so one is the tithe, but now the second question is a little harder than the first question. Um, so we, we've come to figure out that one out of the 10 is the tithe. Now which one of these 10 is the tithe? The first, yeah. You know why? Comes back to our chair. It doesn't take much trust for me to give the last. It's like I'm being, I, I, can get my, I can get my income and I can be here and I'll be like, now God, I want to trust you with this and I want to give, but I first gotta do this and I first gotta do this and I first gotta pay for this and I wanna make sure that I have enough because I want to go do this. And so if at the end I have some left over, I'll be careful, God, but I do want to give you something and that's why we end up giving, you know, 50 cents or 25 cents instead of the dollar that he, it's about trust, but if I give God the first, it's a step of faith. It's, if I give God the first, I'm going, boom, I give you the first, and I trust you that you're going to take care of me with the other nine. That first, that principle of God being preeminent, right? That principle of first, it's found all throughout the scripture. Can we just look at a couple of them real quick? Exodus chapter 23, verse 19. The first of the first fruits, I like how God's like, in case you didn't catch the first fruit, I'm gonna throw an extra first in there. But he says, the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Proverbs chapter three, verse nine and 10. Honor the Lord with, the, with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase so that your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will overflow with new wine. Some may say, well, that's Old Testament law. Proverbs is an Old Testament law. Um, Proverbs is separate from the law, and that principle of first, of God being first, is still there. Let's go New Testament. Let's go Romans chapter 11, verse 16. I love this. For if the first fruit is holy, then the lump is also holy. Oh, I, I like the sound of that. I like the thought of my bank account being holy over there at Western Union, right? Like, it's God's, God's up in there in my account with my money. I like that. And if the first fruit is holy, then the whole lump is holy. And if the root is holy, then so are the branches. It's almost like that tithe redeems my money. It takes the curse off my money. The curse that Malachi is talking about in Malachi 3, when the people are saying, what do you mean? How, how are we cursed? What, what are you talking about? And God says, you're under a curse because you're robbing me. Bring, he says, instead, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says Lord Almighty. See if I'm going to throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. The blessing that comes on that. And somebody goes, are you, are you saying that a Christian can be under a curse? Not exactly but my money can. When Jesus died on the cross, 
the curse of sin was broken off of my soul. Just like when the first fruit is holy, when I give this to God, now the curse that could be on my money is now broken and now the lump is holy. What I have left of my 90% is now holy and that's how I wanna do life. I wanna do life in that kind of obedience. Pastor Cody, thank you so much. Can I just keep this? Is that all right? Yeah, I'll just keep it, amen. You know why Pastor Cody was so good about me just keeping that $10? Uh, Cause he's a good guy, yeah, partially. But it's also because I gave him those $10 bills right before church started. <laughs> and it just seemed so easy because he knew where it came from. And so if the person that it came from asked for something, it was so easy for him to say yes because of he knew who it came from. It's like when we get the understanding oh, that it all comes from God anyway, how easy it is. That's why we can just rejoice and go, this is not out of obligation. This is not because somebody has manipulated me. It's because I understand from which it came and I'm gonna do unto God what he asked for and it's easy to do it. It's like we met with one business owner this week, Pastor, myself and Pastor Ben, we went and met with one of our business owners. God had been stirring him during this time. And he had some contracts there, and he said, I'm gonna, I wanna print on top of all of our contracts the statement that says, we are giving 11% of the profit of every single sale. And you'll go, I thought, the, I thought the tithe was 10%. He just, he's ready to give, so he's bumping it to 11. <laughs> Again, nobody to preach that, nobody told him to do this. No, God just kind of stirs his heart. He's ready to give. So he wants that on all the contracts, and he's telling us, beyond what I'm doing personally, but I, I want in our business uh, to, to, to honor And he says this, he says, I don't want it just to be about blessing the church and moving the ministry forward. He said, that's, that's not only what this is about. He said, I want that on the contract so people ask me about it so that I can invite them to church, so I can lead them to Christ. See, it was, it was not just about giving, uh, giving uh, money, but it was about giving time as well. It's about living life well spent. We're gonna take a moment right now, as we've been doing at the end of these services, and I'm giving you an opportunity to worship God in giving. Can we just right now just celebrate and thank God for the fact that we have something that he's been so good to us, that we are rich. And as we get ready to give, I'm gonna pray for, uh, for every person that's a part of this service right now. And you can opt out of the prayer if you want to, but I'm gonna pray that we go to a new level. I'm gonna pray that we go to a new level of trust, that we just start to trust God like we have never trusted him before. I'm gonna pray that we go to a new level of, of service, a new level of ministry, new level of offering God our time. And I'm gonna also pray that we go to a new level of willingness and readiness and generosity, willing to give, willing to just hear from God on what he would have us do. So as we get ready to pray, I want you to get ready to give, and there's different ways to give. You'll see up there our apps, a real easy way. You can go on the website. Uh, you can text to give. Uh, also, if you want to write a check or give cash, there's receptacles at, on the way out of all of our services across all the campuses. I'm gonna pray for you again. You can opt out of this prayer if you want to. But if you're ready to go to a new level, come on, pray this with me. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence in every single environment where somebody's taking part of this service. And I ask you right now, as we get ready to honor you, as we get ready to return to you a portion, that holy portion that belongs to you, Lord, I thank you that you'll take us to a new level. 
a new level, God, of trust. We trust you first before we trust anything else. God, I pray that you would take us to a new level of giving of our time, a new level of honoring you, a new level of doing good, of being rich, God, of good deeds. God, let faith assembly be known as a church that's rich in good deeds. Oh, take us to a new level. Also take us to a new level, God, in our willingness to give, in our readiness to just be obedient to you. This is no pressure, God. I pray no one would feel pressure, that no one would feel condemnation, but God, that there would just be a sense of joy, a sense of excitement, a sense of the awesomeness of this opportunity. And we thank you as we give unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you take a moment to give. across all of our campuses. We still got a couple minutes before we normally would dismiss anyway, but can you bow your heads and close your eyes? I just want to close out with a, a time of prayer, but with nobody looking around right now, just so that we can kind of look in, you know, this whole thought of trusting God, I really do get a sense that some of us have yet to trust him really with our life. We've yet to trust him with our future. We've yet to trust him with our, our soul and our spirit. Maybe you're here today and I don't know if you stood, if your life ended right now and you stood before God, you just had to go, I don't know if I'm ready for that meeting. I don't know if I've really put my trust in him. I'm not, I'm not following him. I'm not serving him. And this life, you want to talk about spending our life well? This life is just a window of opportunity to make sure that we know God and that God knows us. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.